Good fucking morning. It's Saturday morning. Hello. Are you guys all having a good day? Great. Anyways, it's 8 a.m. Eastern, 5 a.m. Western, a special Saturday morning edition of the QTR podcast. I just spent the last hour trying to get my podcast shit to work because everything was working great for the last couple of months. And then all of a sudden you wake up one morning, you get a guest on the line, you get your coffee brewed, you get ready to go. And the thing just decides to take a huge shit And that's pretty much my life right now. Before I even get started, I want to address the fucking nerds on the internet, on the uh, iTunes podcast, whatever the thing is called, uh, leaving all these one-star reviews. I love you guys. Keep them coming. I'm going to take your one-star reviews someday, put them all on a giant poster, and then I'm going to buy advertising space in Times Square and put them all up there just so the whole world knows how fucking important your guys' opinions are. So keep them coming in. Love those one-star reviews. Also, if you haven't figured out by this point to do your research elsewhere, not listen to anything that I say and don't listen to this podcast in general, well, maybe there's just no hope for you at all. Hello, happy morning. All right, I'm going to go into bright, cheery mode right now. It's Saturday. This is the QTR podcast, and I'm going to start out my podcast by shouting out my patrons. Patrons are people that sign up and donate a monthly recurring sum to help support the podcast. Let's get them some airtime. Then I'm going to give you the two rules for the podcast. Then we're going to get on our merry way. First and foremost, I want to shout out my friends over at JM Bullion. JM Bullion is my official gold and silver provider of the QTR podcast. When people ask where I buy from, the answer right now, the truthful answer is the only place I will buy gold and silver bullion from is JM Bullion. They turn around my orders very quickly. They always seem to have a lot of things in stock, unlike other bullion dealers at this time of volatility. I like the people over there. They're nice to work with. And if you're a QTR listener, you have your very own dedicated sales rep over there. So if you have questions, you have comments, you want to ask about things, and you want to get an actual person on the line, email my friend Kathy, Kathy with a K, Kathy at jmbullion.com. She will hook you up. She's wonderful as well as the guys are over there. They've been in business since 2011. They've done over $3 billion in sales. Folks, you don't do $3 billion in sales if you're fucking things up. You do it because, especially in gold and silver bullion, you do it because you have a credible track record that you've established and you are a reputable dealer. That's why I like these guys. This podcast also brought to you by my friends over at the Sangluchi Steam Room. The Sangluchi Steam Room is one of a kind. Folks, they have been perfecting the steam room for nearly a decade now. These are the inventors of the terms options sweeps. These guys not only look for unusual options activity, but it's different than that. They check out aggressive buys and sells in the options market, and these guys are masters at tape reading and looking at order flow. They take that information, they boil it down, and they give it to you in an easy-to-read format in the lovely and beautiful Sangluchi steam room, which has a, a which really is just a nice piece of software, and that, the moves in the illiquid options markets, can sometimes give you a heads up as to what's going to happen in the equities market. It's a strategy these guys have been using for a long time. It can pay for itself very quickly. It's well worth it, and if you want a discount, just hit up Sangluchi and tell them QTR sent you, and that we're boys, and that you want to get hooked up with the steam room and check it out because it is worth it and these guys are OGs they've been doing this for a long time I trust them and they know what they're talking about this podcast is also brought to you by my dear friends over at the Trader's Path 
My homeboy Pete Hedges at the Trader's Path started the Trader's Path because he got tired of the nonsense and bullshit of other day trading services. So Pete said, I'm going to start my own. His service offers investor education. They offer watch lists on the daily. They offer a live stream. You get full access to Pete who trades in red markets, green markets, options, stocks, It is a great time to have a community if you're a day trader around you, especially with all of the volatility that's been going on over the last couple of months. Great to have a group of people to bounce ideas off of. Pete is a reputable person. I enjoy talking to him. He's a very nice guy. I find him to just be a wonderful person to do business with, and that's why I have no problem recommending his shit on my podcast. So check out my homeboy Pete over at the Trader's Path. The link to that is in the podcast description. Tell them QTR sent you and you want a discount too. Check out also my friends over at RumorHound. RumorHound, there's nothing like RumorHound out there. RumorHound is a proprietary piece of software that looks at merger and acquisition rumors that happen on the daily. If you're a day trader, you know this. It looks at a proprietary set of variables, plugs those into its artificial intelligence-based algorithm, pardon me while I get my big words uh, correct here, and then spits back to you an easy-to-read recommendation as to whether or not the merger acquisition is something you should be paying attention to or something you should possibly avoid. And as you know, if you can get the jump on these things, folks, that can be lucrative. RumorHound is offering a 14-day free trial to all QTR podcast members. You can check out the link to their service in my podcast description. This podcast is also brought to you by my friends over at Corvus Gold, my friends at Investors Underground, Nate Machado over there, Ken R., Chris Bede, Nicholas Parks, Matthew Zimmer, my homeboy Jay Mincemeyer, Russ Valenti, Crichton Titus, my homeboy Ellen, I believe, that just hit me up on PayPal. Thank you so much. Everybody that's been checking in over there, and also some of my newest patrons, people that have signed up recently, including Will Smith, Thank you, brother. Simon Thorinson, my homeboy DT and Bobby Brooks, Daniel GZZC, what's up, homeboy? Jamie Barker and Jared Boer, Thomas Nunn, Doug Hunter, I appreciate you guys. And how about some patrons that have been with me for a hot minute? Like Pivotal Capital, I still see you. Thank you, brother. I can call you by your name, right, Reed? Uh, Dale Short, my friend uh, Ned DeLorme, still in the house. Jerry Baker, still here. Some old school people that have been with me for a while, man. Robert Nogler, uh, Michael Embley, thank you so much. Ethan Watkins. I mean, these are some of my oldest patrons, man. Thomas Wysocki's been down for a while. Max Mulvihill, we're going back almost two years. Thank you guys so much for your continued support. Kenneth Zvielan, I still see you, brother. Jorge Perlas. I know I shout you out every once in a while when I want to fucking brush up on my Spanish uh, just thank you guys so much for hanging in, man. It's just been fucking incredible. I'm having fun. I hope you guys are too. All right. Here's the rules for the podcast. You fucking nerds on the internet, listen to this one closely, all right? This is not investment advice. I'm not an investment advisor. I hold no licenses. I hold no registrations. Take responsibility for your own actions. Don't be a fucking snowflake that leaves a bad review because you're out there trading fucking dry ships or whatever garbage you're trading and you have no clue what you're doing and you're selling options when you think you're buying them, etc., etc. It's not my fault. Go take the Sanglucci Master Course or some shit and get your fucking brain squared up. On the contrary, I do kind of enjoy the one-star reviews, so actually you may want to keep those coming in. 
All right, this episode of the worst podcast ever also requires a two-drink minimum. That's when you take alcoholic beverages and smash them into various orifices in your face until you don't know what day it is, and I sound and look like Brad Pitt. So if I don't yet, make sure you keep drinking, and uh, that's pretty much how things go on this podcast. That's about it. That's that's your eight minutes of... Go- that's the other thing, too. I can't believe you put eight minutes at the beginning of the podcast of advertisements. This is just an, uh, I can't listen to the host talk for eight minutes. My last podcast with George Gammon was eight minutes up front for like 118 minutes of uninterrupted interview. Folks, if that ratio is not good enough for you, there's just some things in life that you're just not cut out for. And one of them is my podcast, okay? So I'd encourage you and basically everybody else to turn this podcast off right now. With that being said, I am excited to welcome our guest. <laughs> I love this shit. <laughs> the retail king himself, Jeff Mackey, formerly of CNBC, formerly of actually, you know, was in a studio with makeup artists and big expensive cameras, and he's gone from that to having to put up with my shit on a Saturday morning where I've had to reschedule this fucking podcast like 10 times because I can't get the thing to work. So, Jeff, thanks for slumming it with us this morning. What's going on, brother? Oh, nothing. I love the slums, man. These are my people. This is great. I'm going to Walmart <laughs> later with the people. It's, it's, I'm perfectly comfortable here. This is fantastic. Nice talking to you. You say you're going to Walmart later? Absolutely. The, as a as a retail guy, I mean, you're well known. For, I mean, you are a. I, I think you're the best of the best when it comes to retail analysis. Um, do you just love going and doing like walkthroughs? I mean, are they like channel checks for you, even if you just go shopping? Um, a little bit. They have been of late. You know, I, I don't see stores the way normal people do, which sounds like a brag and it's actually more of a horrible cry for help. But yeah, I'm just looking at flow. I'm looking at adjacencies. I'm looking to see how the store is functioning. And, you know, when I see the imperfections, it, it, you know, I'm looking to see basically how much they translate. So if you walk into a store, for instance, and there are still boxes in the middle of the floor at 10 a.m., that's not a well-managed store. Now, you know, as a one-off visit, does that tell you a lot about a whole chain of, of 1,800 Target stores? No, but it's a red flag. And so I'm looking for two things. I'm looking for A, that part, the, how well-managed is the store, and B, what are the consumers doing? That's been the huge one lately. Chris, I've been just walking into stores and seeing what's out of stock and just staying ahead of all this hoarding we're doing. We saw about two weeks ago, a, a shift from all the food and toilet paper to everything to people just buying bikes and and television sets. It started in home as people started upgrading their, their crappy coffee machines and everything else they've been held captive by. But I think that the key to the recovery... <laughs> I did that. <laughs> yeah, of course, you, you see, I mean, it, people act, generally speaking kind of the way you'd expect and if you know you scare everyone with a pandemic they're going to stock up on food toilet paper doesn't make a heck of a lot of sense but you know they also cleared out all the pasta which made more sense and uh, you know we're seeing across retail people going to the store less they're making more thorough lists and they're picking up more stuff and as the the panic phase passes they realize they're still spending a lot of time at home and they could use a bigger television you know, they need a coffee machine. It, it's it's easy to, to collectively make fun of these people and say, oh, they're spending on credit. They don't have jobs. But, you know, these are just human beings. And it, everyone would like a nicer coffee machine. 
you know, it it's or whatever kind of your thing is, you know, most people can swing the cash together to buy a bike. I'm not going to call these people financially reckless for buying bicycles. I'm just interested in the fact that, you know, Americans are, are buying impossible amounts of exercise equipment, exercise gear in just huge numbers. That tells me they're hoarding. It tells me they're not planning on leaving home anytime soon. So you can get a lot of information just by looking around. Do you think to some degree the pandemic and the newfound fear of death that has been instilled upon everybody, thanks to our fine friends at the mainstream media, has kind of catalyzed a YOLO attitude for shoppers? Like, you know, I never really spent the 300 on the uh, French press espresso uh, wonder bar, whatever, but fuck it. If I'm going to die next week, I'd like to have a authentic Italian coffee this morning instead of a uh, chock full of nuts. You know, I don't know if it's, if it's YOLO as much as, as it kind of settling in that, that, you know, maybe going to the gym isn't something people are going to want to do. You and I are gym rats. Yes. I can't imagine a world where, you know, I'm not just laying fists on somebody or holding bags for my kid or, or whatever. I love all that stuff. I miss it like crazy. I'm not sure how fast it comes back, though. You know, it, it's we're going to have to get to a level of comfort where where it's not just a matter of whether my son and I feel comfortable going to the gym. He needs people to spar with. He needs people to to be part of that culture. And it's hard to know when that comes back. And so... Right. Part of it's YOLO, part of it is, you know, let's adjust for our lives, as as uh, McMillan said on the Walmart car uh, call, Americans are becoming teachers. The, the school from home thing is a real thing. And so, you know, it it's, I've been kind of hands-on parenting for the last couple of years, so I could see this coming. Kids go through a lot of stuff. You know, you, you you need paper supplies, you need crayons, you need, you know, people who haven't had kids home all day don't realize that they are consuming, eating, making a mess everywhere. <laughs> I mean, it's a shitload of work. And so it's, you know, we started with less YOLO than, oh my God, we need something for the seven-year-old to do eight hours a day that he was at school before. So now it's just, okay, let's settle in. You know, we could use some bikes. Peloton has been taking off. I've been watching them. I've been watching kind of, I, I like to find the hottest, most obscure product and just chase it up the channel. And in this case, it's been the Nautilus 552 dumbbell. I defy you to find one of those online. It's an adjustable, crappy dumbbell weight that is sold out everywhere. Five-year-old product, it's selling for 1300 bucks on eBay as of a couple of weeks ago. It's a dumbbell. It, it, and so, you know, I'm calling this the the executives at the company and asking them why they're not selling more. And they simply can't. Same thing with the bike people. You know, there you have a lot of, of companies that are set up to address a world that grows roughly in line with GDP, like the toilet paper industry. And they don't have any flex in that supply chain. So, you know, it they can't make more toilet paper. These are not companies that, that were rewarded for or set up to be very flexible in the supply chain. And so I'm trying to watch the flow of product, you know, the way the companies are addressing it and what is and isn't in stock, because that tells me the earnings for a whole bunch of different companies, you know, a lot of whom are reporting over the next couple of weeks this is the heart of retail reporting season. So, 
you know, this is basically my master's. This is my, my, one of the four majors of a year. And it's been interesting. You know, you get on these calls and, and the retail guys are simply baffled right now. Yeah, it's interesting because I bought dumbbells. I mean, I did all my prepping in January. As you know, I think mm-hmm. you follow me on Twitter. So I've been, you know, screaming and panting and sweating about this for six months now. Although I've calmed down over the last few months. But when I was doing my prepping in January, I mean, one of the things that I bought was I bought kettlebells and dumbbells for the house because I was thinking, you know, the gym's going to close down. And sure as shit, the gym closed down, you know. And uh, it's just funny. People are paying $1,300 for a dumbbell when you can literally go outside and lift rocks for free. <laughs> it, it, it's unbelievable. I joked the other day that you know, I wish I had a buck for every pound of lead going unsold in the weight supply chain simply because they can't make the damn things fast enough. Right. Meanwhile, there's a a construction site with like cinder blocks next door where they can't find labor. They can't find people to move the cinder blocks manually. And you're at home lifting a $1,300 cinder block to get in shape. It's a world gone batshit. And all these adults trying to ride their bikes around. Who knows how that's going to (laughs) end. I'm thinking, have you guys ridden a bike in a while? Because it's much more wobbly than you might think. You know, Godspeed to you. (laughs) When when Trump was campaigning and he was talking about John Kerry, he was like 73 years old and he goes and he enters a bicycle race and breaks his leg. Okay, folks, one thing I can guarantee you, I will never enter a bicycle race at 73 (laughs) years old. (laughs) And on one hand, you're thinking, on one hand, you're thinking, ah, yeah, he's kind of an asshole, Trump. And on the other hand, you're thinking, what the fuck is this guy doing at 73 years old entering a bicycle race, you know? Uh, yeah, yeah. I remember, remember, remember the wind sailing pictures and stuff? God, they tried to make it. it that was a bonkers, batshit election. <laughs> they, had a, they had a photo of him out hunting, remember? Yeah, yeah. And, and he was literally in Skull and Bones with, with W. Right. So they're they're trying to make these look like two radically different men because one was from the graduating class of what sixty eight at Yale and the other was from the totally different class of seventy. It's like these are the same waspy guys. You know, it's what, what decision are we pretending we're making here? They're the same fucking person. Al Gore was the same person. They all went to the same schools. They're they're you know now we got Biden who's an old crazy guy and it's like well he seems more benign than the aggressively crazy guy that we have in now. Why are we moving laterally? Where you know? Where are the young people? What what? It, it, we're just in this land of weirdness where everyone seems kind of old and out of touch, and and you know, it's easy to bitch about. But I'm just trying to figure out how the populace is going to deal with it right. and essentially sort of handicap it. You know, it it's we're seeing now a backlash against the retailers that were open, and it, which is odd you know it, there never was a list of essential businesses that and most of the retailers that closed closed of their own volition well before the government got involved and they closed because customers weren't coming in so you know it it's you have governments not just here but it, it's really it starts with every chamber of commerce and works its way all the way to the white house we're pretending like this national grand opening is is kind of up to the politicians and it's really up to the people just like the shutdown was right. when people are comfortable <clears throat> going shopping they'll shop you know it it's i want to see the new christopher nolan movie when i'm comfortable going to the theaters and that movie comes out i'll decide then whether i want you know it it's not going to be the government's call whether we all go see the christopher nolan movie 
it, it's I want Fast and Furious to come out, but the government can't mandate me going there any more than it can mandate we go to a mall. You know, people will shop and and remingle when they're ready to, and getting in the way of that is is just bizarre to me. I mean, I, I get the urge to politically grandstand, but the one thing human beings would naturally be pretty good at is a slow rebuild of of their outside activities. You know, you get the people less afraid out there and then increasingly they sort of grow and that works out well in terms of, of how you should respond to a virus and in terms of what the natural instinct of people would be. And instead, we're going to make sure that no one in Venice can go on the beaches. <laughs> you know, it, it's what the hell are we doing and why? It, you know, it, the virus is in control. It has been since it started and it will be until it's gone. And everybody's saying essentially the same thing that you just said. So when I talk to my mother about this, one of the things that we always bring up is whether or not they reopen it's people's choice as to whether or not they go back out and if they do what businesses they visit. A lot of that will be predicated on how comfortable they are, what steps businesses are disclosing that they're taking to deal with the virus, things like that. Um, and so, yeah, the the opening and the closing, it's kind of a formality. I mean, there's people around where I live that I know will stay under lock and key until we have a vaccine, no questions asked, regardless of what the government says. And there's other people that I know that have been going about their business as though nothing has taken place over the last six months. And so I think you make a very good point there. And you know, to that point, though, it, where it becomes a non-just sort of sociology point, and you actually can make money off it, is is – you know the idea that you would would somehow force these stores to open that you would make the gap open itself that you would make Abercrombie open they're not ready these are very small margin businesses and so if you're running a, a company that has a four percent net you can't afford to just be open for a few weeks with traffic down by 30 percent you're going to lose a ton of money so this idea that we're doing favors for the chains by opening them up is is wrong it should be up to the companies the companies are you know, firsthand able to kind of make that judgment for themselves so there really is no need for the government to be you know overruling this or deciding who has jurisdiction on that you know simon property group has a pretty good feel for how many people are going to their malls the stores within the mall have a pretty good feel over whether or not it's worth their time economically to open up again and so when you put this layer on top of, that the government has control, you're just it, – it's not true. And that's what echoes most with the financial crisis is, is it's easy to find conspiracies and all this. But the real conspiracy, and it's more terrifying than anything you come up with, is no one knows shit. Right. <laughs> <laughs> They're absolutely making it up as they go along and – you know, which – I guess is fine because I don't know that there's actually a specific answer, but I'd prefer they'd stop pretending like they have a great plan. Well, that's because you know, they don't. That's what they're experts at pretending. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, mean, I guess that's how you get elected. But I'm an expert at calling bullshit. So you know, Godspeed to them. And as I've said before, I'm kind of staying long retailers that are open because you know Burlington Coat Factory. I guess it's Burlington Warehouse now. They report this week. Right before everything was shut down, early March, I was on their call and they announced that they were closing all of their e-commerce operations effective immediately. So Burlington's literally been bolted shut since March. 
Now, you know, they sell off-price goods. Off-price goods don't age like fine wine. When you close the store and chain it shut, you know, the store just gets dusty and gross and your Easter dresses don't get any fresher. So I have no freaking idea what Burlington's going to tell people they've been doing for the last two months while the stores have been completely closed. But I think the revenue line's going to suck. And I'm, you know, it, it's, I'm not sure about their grand reopening because there's just a ton of inventory out there. I mean, it, when I hear Macy's say that they expect sales to be down 85% and that they have to report their first quarter literally three times, you know, I think that ends the conversation on whether or not you buy Macy's because it seems like a value here. Right. <laughs> <laughs> like, I, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't invest in a buddy's local gas station if he couldn't report his freaking quarters sooner than two months after they end. So why, why should I buy Macy's taking their word for it? What's happening behind the scenes in, in some of the bigger box retailers is they're trying to raise money basically at the worst possible time. Then they're trying to use as, as collateral on their loans, the aging inventory. And in the case of a Macy's, all of the real estate. Well, it turns out this is a really bad time to send, sell 50 tons of Levi's merchandise and an office building. The market's really bad for both of those things right now. So, yeah, it's, it's, I don't know when we reopen. I don't know when we go back, but I just know that these guys aren't going to be able to move their inventory very fast. And it sort of depends on, on, you know, the government's appetite for high yield debt as to whether or not they even make it, which has sort of frozen my hand in the or equity the, or markets the Fed's on the short appetite side. for high yield debt. Yeah, I mean, really, it, it's they shouldn't exist in the natural order of things. So someone's got to pick up this this garbage debt because you know the retailers are probably going to default on a lot of the inventory write downs they're taking. There, there is absolutely no market for spring merchandise, and there's not going to be. So well, it's up to the, each of them. Maybe the Fed will start buying Levi's. <laughs> they should buy T-shirts. Levi's might be the shortest live public company. They shouldn't have gone public in the first damn place when they went last year. Yeah, they were zero growth to begin with, and now you just have nothing but stacks of inventory in literally every store you can go into. And so they're already having to, you know, they did their IPO again less than 18 months ago, and they're already having to raise money again. Wow. That's kind of the state of things in, in Consumerville right now. You know, it's, it's, it, there are companies that can do omni channel and do the online and, and give, product to customers in whatever way they want, which as you know, I've been preaching that for two years. Well, now it really matters. And so the companies that, that haven't been doing that, you know, they're not going to come up with the cash to build an online division anytime soon. And they're really not even planning to. So, you know, it, there, I guess will be value plays in my space, but for the most part, you know, it, it's just a long, short opportunity. And I'm kind of just taking my time and waiting for the market to, just take grab just taking the other side of a lot of big moves and it's actually been a pretty good year let's go back to one of your earlier uh, comments here that i jotted down on this pad in front of me uh you said quote no one knows shit end quote and i wanted to <laughs> expound on that and get your thoughts about uh the virus in general because you know, I've been saying since March that I think there is a very good chance that this virus is far more widespread than a lot of people think. I think if we, if China's telling us that they found it in November, even if we take them at their word, the amount of travel 
that happened between November, December, January, before the travel ban. I mean, you're talking about millions of people moving domestically, internationally. You have the holidays in there. You have going to and from universities. Um, And so, and I think about, you know, myself and the traveling that I did in December and January and all the airports I was in and all the people I talked to. And just this week, I heard that a family member of mine had taken an antibody test and found out they had the antibodies and you know, recalled that, oh, earlier this year, you know, they weren't feeling well at one point. And I'm just wondering what your thoughts are on that. Do you think that this thing may be, you know, that we're not, I say we're not tracking its spread in real time, which is what I think people think that we're doing. Maybe even the government thinks we're doing. Um, I make the case, I think this thing could be everywhere already. What Do you have an opinion on that? Um, you know, it's, I tend to steer clear. I, I've read a lot about basically the, the kind of history of pandemics. It, it's not that unusual that America would kind of buckle down. It, it, this extreme is, it's a function of sort of our ability to communicate better and to, to shut things down. But I mean, if you think parents weren't freaked out when polio was ravaging America literally every summer for about three decades, yeah, it, it's you're wrong. You know, parents have always been freaked out about their kids. Everyone compares it to 1918. What we learned then, that flu bug mutated three different times. There were three waves of it. So, you know, whatever it is now, and I, I tend to agree. I live in San Diego where honestly not many people here know anyone who's come down with it, which is is radically different than the East Coast experience. And I mean, I'm talking, I don't have friends of friends that came down with it. I don't have friends of friends of friends who tell me about some guy they knew. It's just not a thing here. 70 miles up the street in LA, it's a much bigger problem. Right. So, you know, it. it's, I don't know if you can put a national stamp on how it's going to break out. We haven't come up with a second wave of mutation yet. And ultimately it's going to come down to, you know, it. it's Americans are comfortable living in a society with risk. You take a risk every time you leave the house. You know, it. it's the Pacific Ocean is nothing but a you know, whirlwind of risk and we let people swim in it on a regular basis for the last 200 years until we decided to shut it down for this. Yeah, it, we're making decisions that, that kind of don't make sense and it, it's the only way to get Americans to do anything is to tell them they can't. And so in a world where we don't do shit coming up with these firm regulations then trying to enforce them seems like the craziest response. You know, people are, are afraid kind of left to their own devices. They'll be as cautious as makes sense for them to be just from an evolutionary perspective and a self-preservation perspective. You don't need the National Guard to enforce that. You know, it it's this is not a thing that we can really legislate. So I don't know if we're drawing it out longer. I don't know if we're we're making it more acute, but I know the government being involved in this so far hasn't really helped us much. You know, and and politicizing it is honestly just the very worst way to go about it. What what you do when you make it into a protest rally to go to the mall instead of just opening the stores and letting people shop is you basically make the problem worse for the mall owners and every single store in it because you've just sent a bunch of people who are there to protest and not shop 
to you know be dealt with by your customers. Guys videotaping themselves going in without masks to yell at Costco employees. I don't know what they're doing there, but it's right. like you know the Costco guy has shit to do, and no, it is not in fact your constitutional right just to be a dick. Right. <laughs> it's like I totally appreciate the idea that you don't want to be told what to do. But, you know, maybe your club membership store that you're going into isn't the place to express that particular brand of freedom because it's not in the Constitution that you're allowed to go into your club and act like an asshole. They'll right. kick you out. It's the right. Well, I have so, to say I have a, an immense amount of respect for the people that are – is that a beer? That better be a beer at 6 it's 20, a Diet Coke. 6.22 in the morning, uh, which you will then mix with rum. All right. Um, <laughs> Absolutely. The the respect that I have for the people on the front line that are working in retail is just immense. And I, I actually, I have more of a respect for the people that work, you know, at Target, Walmart, McDonald's, you chick, my Chick-fil-A is open near me. Um, not only because they're on the front line of the pandemic and dealing with a rotating door of people, all of whom are in various stages of psychosis, all of whom are in various stages of accepting or not accepting what's going on in various stages of preparedness accordingly, um, you know, just giving a shit about the pandemic in general. But they're doing it at a time when the government has never made it more enticing to go on unemployment. So when I pull up to get a coffee at a McDonald's now for a dollar 50 and there's a woman at the first window that takes my money and a woman at the second window that hands me my coffee and I know that they're making $15 an hour or whatever they're making there I mean I just you know I tip those people I, my respect for that is just off the charts yeah yeah and it it's it's weird that it doesn't translate on the corporate side the smart companies that are open the smart retailers that are open are giving people raises and they're treating them like you know, their business like their job has gotten appreciably harder since this started right you know being a being a clerk at target isn't quite the easiest gig anymore you you have every single stress and concern that you were talking about before you know it, it's our local target you got people lined up out front you have two kids taking everyone's temperature as they come in you, you know you have the plastic guards up there on the ring you have the the assortment the carnival you know, life's rich pageant walking through the doors some are there to <laughs> protest some are there for meat some are there to hoard you know you got to control that entire flow and it brings out the worst in everybody and they're all really excited to to you know in the case of the video that went viral last week to yell at the costco manager as though it's his call you know, it, it, I, I can't relate to that. Be polite to the people that are ringing you up because, you know, again, to work retail, to be a greeter right now at Kroger's is to come into contact with thousands of people every single day and you have no idea where they've been. It's terrifying and it's a job that is, you know, fundamentally different than it was in February. And so the smart retailers are paying these people more. And, you know, and, so as you look through the balance sheets and the income statements of the company, it's like, you know, no one, they're not getting rich off this. The backlash against the retailers that are open is insane. This is a really hard thing for them to be doing. 
And, you know, so it it's for a store like Target, a company like, you know, Walmart right now, they should be taking market share because they actually are good enough to be open right now. Most of these chains, you know, they're not closed by choice. The Gap couldn't be open right now. If they would have stayed open for this entire duration, they would be bankrupt. They'd be out of business. Yeah, and even in February before all the shutdowns, I mean, retail was not the greatest gig in the world. I've worked retail. I'm sure you have too. I know you come from oh, a yeah. family that's deep in retail, right? So when you're doing things like overnights to change store rollouts and, you know, you know, seasonally when they change the layout of the store, I think they do most places do it four times a year. And you're dealing with the, you know, disillusioned, angry American consumer that's out there buying shit because they don't really even know why they're buying it to begin with. And then you got to deal with all the stupid fucking holidays every year. Oh, happy flag day. Happy labor day. Happy mother's day. It's a father's day sale. It's a Valentine's sale. It's an Easter sale. It's a president's day extravaganza. It's a Christmas extra. It's a Hanukkah (laughs) extravaganza. It's the Kwanzaa discount. It's like just to have to deal with that shit in general in addition to the normal psychosis that American consumers suffer from, and then to take that and to put all of those emotions and all of that shit on like one and a half times overdrive right now, and to be dealing with that, I mean, I I would be hard-pressed to find somebody that would not agree with us that these people don't deserve an immense amount of respect. And and then imagine you, you put all that stress on top of it, and your job goes from hyping Memorial Day, which would normally be what they're doing this weekend, to, you know, the store manager has to come probably three, four times a day to tell customer A through E that they can't buy every single bag or container of toilet paper (laughs) in the entire Costco. You know, I appreciate that you have five carts of toilet paper. I'm not sure why, sir, but you can't do this. It sucks, you know, because yeah. then they get yelled at, they get put on Instagram, and it's like, holy cow, you're not, none of these people are paid enough to put up with this kind of garbage, which is why you're you're seeing the raises, you're seeing the promotions, because it's just smart business to keep your employees happy if you're working retail right now. And it's also the supply chain for America. So, you know, it, if you like food, you should probably be a little generous with Kroger's. <laughs> and big, fat, as George Carlin called them, semi-conscious American consumers don't like to be told no. They don't like to be told that they can only buy, you know, limit six hams. That, you know, there's people that walk into a grocery store and see a sign that says limit six hams. And that is essentially the apocalypse for them. That's essentially yeah. the, that is the worst day of their life for a lot of people. <laughs> Yeah. Now, if you you put up a sign that says you can only have six hams, they will honestly tell you that Alexander Hamilton died for the right to have seven hams. Exactly. The founding fathers didn't mean shit if we can't have seven hams. Are you the king of England? Are you the king of England right now trying to suppress my rights? You know, it's just Uh. like, you know, come on, feel a little... it's you know weird days at least it's interesting times you know meanwhile i've got my kids home doing zoom high school which is just bad shit you know you're trying to maintain everything trying to stay healthy trying to kind of keep your mind straight and not just get vaporized financially on top of it so 
you know, these are weird, high stressful days. And for the people listening out there who are in stressful times, man, you know, take a Xanax, take a chill, make fewer decisions. And the people who aren't should appreciate that it's pretty nice to not have to worry about kind of your next paycheck in this environment. It, it's a luxury and it should be paid forward. Yeah, I was watching a video this morning before before I knew the podcast setup was going to disintegrate. Um, I was kind of reading the news at my leisure this morning and I saw two separate articles. The first one was a retail worker that had been assaulted uh, because the sporting goods store that she was working at did not carry the swimming pool that the customer wanted. Okay, that's number one. There's fucking priorities, right, during a pandemic. And the second one was a police officer in New York City who was trying to prevent a guy from going into the subway without a mask on. And the guy was upset and he was, you know, just screaming at him and cursing in his face and fuck you, you faggot, you this, you that, like just losing his mind. And this officer, and you know, there's another guy recording it, also talking shit. And I'm just like, oh my God, like you see some disastrous stories. Look, there's some people that work in retail that, you know, they're not worth their weight. There's some bad police officers, but you see stuff like this and your heart's just got, you got to go out to these people and say, man, they are not getting paid enough. No, no. And it's, it's always been a tough gig. Like you say, I grew up in retail. And so the, the way it has always worked is, you know, it, is low pay up front and then huge chance for advancement. Right. So in other words, Walmart earlier at the beginning of this pandemic was literally hiring people without even signing forms. They were hiring people with no physical contact. You could accidentally apparently get hired at a Walmart. (laughs) Yeah. It, it was that fast, you know, but these are, these are jobs that they're churning through people that fast. And the people that are able to hold their tongue when they get yelled at by the customer become an assistant manager in a month. Right. You know, so it's, it's massive upward mobility, massive hiring, but they simply can't get enough people. You know, it, it, so the economy is, is just in this weird semi-frozen state. And in terms of what the trade is, I mean, my God, we have so many different bigger things right now that I think this is a great time to kind of settle back and stop tracing, chasing the momentum and just play it a little bit at a time, you know, fairways and greens, as they say in golf, just to you know, work the jab, as they say in fighting, find a little distance, find <laughs> a little space, try to reassess the situation. Now is not the time to go in there and just flail. Um, I have a really good question here from one of my uh, Patreons that I usually wait to the end to ask these, but I like this one a lot and it's topical. And so I wanted to ask it. Um, this guy's basically asking about your opinion on U.S.-listed, China-based retailers. Alibaba, of course, being the largest one, and JD is also in there, and I'm sure there's a couple other ones. But, you know, I don't know if you've been following the U.S.-listed, China-based scam story. Uh, You know, I'm sure, what happened with Luck and Coffee. You know that this GSX is now in the crosshairs. You know that I have experience in dealing with a lot of these... uh, 
reverse takeovers that ultimately turned out to be frauds. What's Jeff Mackey's opinion on uh, China-based retailers? Do you have one? Like, like Alibaba, yeah. for instance. Yeah. Look at them, but run away. You know, well, you don't need that right now. Why? Why would you be involved with that? The the argument for them as stocks was before that they would be mispriced somehow relative to American equities. But you know, you can't look at the numbers. You can't what the the my entire use for the retail environment of China is simply as a, a check. You use the government inefficiency and stupidity there intersected with western companies for instance you know starbucks their same store sales in china is a decent kind of precursor to the rebuild that we'll see here because they forced all the starbucks to open way too early in february they were reopening starbucks there there was this horrendous it should be much more infamous video of a starbucks manager in wuhan sitting with a surgical mask and an empty starbucks cup in front of her talking about how happy she was to be reopening and and hoping the store would get back to business. You know, so that's Chinese propaganda, but Starbucks has to actually report numbers. And so when they came back, they said, listen, you know, business was down 70%. It is slowly rebuilding, but we're still seeing less than half the traffic that we saw before in our retail locations. You can see similar stats from McDonald's. That's my entire use for the Chinese retail economy right now because I don't trust any of their numbers. I never have. And and it was fine on the way up and I missed the trade on Alibaba on the way up and I don't really give a crap because I've got you know a $5 trillion retail market to deal with here. It's entirely mispriced. The stocks are moving like crazy. You know, it, it's, we've got our hands full. You don't need Alibaba. You know, it's, it's go figure out if, if Kohl's is going to live. I bought Nordstrom this weekend. I got my hands full there, and they actually try to report honest numbers. What do you think about the escalating tensions with China in general? Um, you know, I think it's inevitable. I think we'll look for a scapegoat, but I think that it it's, you know, we clearly are in an administration that's going to escalate tensions with these people, but it, you know, we have mutually assured destruction with them to the point now that you know if anything sort of our uneasy relationship is is much tighter than the cold war you know the russians were uh, literally on the other side of of the iron curtain and any type of exchanges over the top of that were sort of below the radar secret or hush hush right now you know the deal is pretty clear the united states has not gotten screwed by china in every trade negotiation we've ever had our our standard of living is far too high for us to pretend like we're victims on the global stage so, you know, it, it makes all kinds of sense to fight for the best deal we can and to be aggressive towards them. But, you know, America's in no position to blame China for for spreading this virus. You know, our hands aren't clean enough. So I think that the, the tensions escalate, but I think that rescinds largely as as we're able to go about our lives. People people ultimately will be happy enough just to to have this behind us that you know it, there'll be lingering tensions but it's not going to be worse than it was you know we started a trade war in 2018 we're not going to you know re-escalate it again even though it, it, you know there'd be a populist mood to do that but i am just not that worried about it again we've got a global pandemic and we're trying to reopen 80 percent of the retailers in america i've got more to think about than you know chinese yelling what are you doing uh buying nordstrom I mean, I know you think 
Nordstrom is best of class in retail. We've talked about that before, but you're also, I mean, they have a heavy brick and mortar presence. They're an age old name. I know a lot of people think Nordstrom and they think dinosaur the same way they think of uh, other. So what, what appealed to you about Nordstrom that made you pull the trigger on it? Um, They're going to Macy's report by and large, that's their number one competitor. Uh, you know, obviously, they're kind of the two last major department stores standing, um, and they're much better managed. Nordstrom gets a bad rap as a company. You know, they've got a lot of people still named Nordstrom running it, which normally I can't get far enough away from kind of family legacy businesses that are public like that. It, it, it's typically not great for investors, but they the hats off to to the way they've gone about their business. The stores they opened in New York, I mean opening two flagship stores in New York just before a global pandemic shuts everybody down is, is biblically bad timing. I mean, it, it's, it's a really unfortunate stroke of luck, but the stock has been, it's down 65, 70%. I think that's enough. And so then you get to the point where it's, you know, do these people survive? Can I get a return on this? And the answer is yes. They report in a couple of weeks they're not going to report their quarter three times. I don't expect the numbers to be good, but I expect them fully to have a plan on how to get out of this. They're not going to have, have gone out on too far a financial limb and warts and all. When people do go back to shopping again, which they will, you know, they, it's not everyone's going to need a department store, but there'll be enough people, you know, Nordstrom only needs about a three or 4% market share and they're just fine. They're crushing at that number. Yeah, well, I just so, I just pulled up the uh, the ticker. I haven't looked at it in months. The last time I looked at it, I think it was between thirty and forty. It's at fifteen sixty six, which is uh, I don't know how accurate the estimates are, but they're saying the it's estimates about, are garbage. I mean, you know, it it well, it's a, it's about four it's about four and a half times their trailing twelve month price to earnings ratio that or right. That and so what you figure, earnings. yeah, and so you wipe out this year. And and then you figure that they get back to but they have a lot three of debt. quarters of that in two years. They've got a lot of debt, and so the debt becomes a survival, which is why I haven't touched the stock before now. You know, because it it's without some sort of backstop on the debt side, you know, it there is a case to be made that that not many of the stores in the mall deserve to survive at all from a strict financial perspective. They they they're levered up. They're not going to see the traffic, and to reopen right now is going to be a net loser for most of these chains for months, at least, you know, who as you traffic rebuilds. Who do you think is going to backstop the debt? Um, I think that you're finding foreign investors. They're basically trying to sell to anybody who can. So far, they haven't had to use the Fed for the most part. But right now, that's why Macy's are reporting their quarter three times, because they're out trying to to arrange loans. It's a retailer that is backstopped by a bunch of office space buildings. You know, so the idea with them has always been, well, we've got the flagship in New York and we could sell that for $3 billion. Probably not. You know, you, it's, I'm not sure what an office building near Madison Square Garden is worth, but I know that right now is a terrible time to try to sell one. Yeah. So, you know, it, it's, I think they're all trying to stretch it out as long as possible. And it, once they get to the other side, you'll have private equity groups, you'll have all kinds of different companies that come in. The issue is that that for the real cash-strapped companies, they're raising money at 12%, 11%. It, it's a 4% margin business. 
you know, you've just take it. They don't, they can't afford that. And so they're just kind of getting loan shark type of funding to stretch it out over the next few quarters and hope that Christmas is better, which is a huge bet to be making. And so, you know, it, when you contrast kind of the losers out there or the companies that really don't have a plan, I listened to the limited brands call and they've honestly just kind of quit Victoria's Secrets. They're really not even running it, which is amazing. <laughs> I didn't know that was even an option, but they've just kind of, they tried to sell it. The deal fell through and, and they sort of are not paying attention to it. That's really weird. That's got to play out. You know, it's a, it's a $14 billion brawn panty company that's going to have an impact on the entire industry, but it's not going to last forever. So the people that'll buy the debt are people with high risk tolerance who are going to, you know, collateralize it against basically all the assets of the stores. And, you know, if according to Hoyle, or at least, you know, according to history, what will happen is most of these concerns will go bankrupt. They'll get spun up, they'll get chopped down to nothing, and then they'll go public. You know, like it, it's that's the circle of life. I was at Macy's the last time and they went bankrupt. It's not going to be the first time that they've gutted their shareholders and, and you know, come back out of the process. It's, it's got to be how they work. It's got to be interesting when you look at retail because it, it seems like all roads kind of converge around the holiday season, right? That's when Trump is assuring people we're going to have a vaccine by. And actually, I believe that. I know he can be optimistic with his claims, but I think there's a lot of horsepower right now working on therapeutics, cures, vaccines, etc. And I think the scientific community will come up with something before the end of the year this year. Um, the question is then, you know, there's so much game theory here, right? You have the holiday season, which is a huge shot in the arm for retail. It is the mo- easily the most important part of the year for retail. Q4 is easily the biggest quarter for retail. And you have kind of all these roads converging on the end of the year this year, man. And to say it's to say it's a big gamble is really an understatement, huh? Well, because what you're saying is is absolutely 100% true. Drilling into a tiny bit of detail on it, it probably helps illuminate the point. Right now is when retailers are putting together their Christmas. And in fact, you know, by May, it's a little late. They should be already have placed the orders on the main stuff they have and, and kind of fleshing out their, their fringe items, the impulse items for their Christmas. None of the retailers that I'm aware of are buying inventory in full size right now. When you talk to the discount stores that are open, they're just trying to get, you know, bikes back in stock. They're just trying to get their toilet paper section cleaned up. You know, they've had a, a huge disruption. They just want to run their stores normally again. They're not concerning themselves with with fourth quarter inventory yet. So, yeah, it it's when you go further up the chain and look at like a PVH, which which sells a ton of those brands that used to be freestanding. So you got Izod, you got Gold Toe Socks you know, underwear companies, Haynes is reporting soon. You know, it, it's all of these companies are facing a world where their customers have essentially stopped ordering anything. So, you know, it it's when PBH was, was on their call, they said, listen, we're not getting any orders from department stores, none. I don't know how to, how to do the math on that, but you know, there, there are not companies out there with business models that, that had zero as a plausible revenue item. You know, to have that be the top line for two or three quarters right. is a really big problem. And, you know, and there's no way they can rush it. And analysts will ask the question five different times, but 
you know, when you ask a PVH, when's there going to be a market for IZOD again? The answer is they don't know. When was there ever a market for IZOD would be my question. <laughs> yeah, 1986. Talk about the but fucking the is- brands you can't believe still exist. Like you walk into a Kohl's and you see like, uh, I see they've got Perry Ellis and Chaps and IZOD. It's like, <laughs> like, talk about a buffet of things I would never go anywhere near. You just wonder who is buying these things. The ancestors of Perry Ellis, probably. Who the hell knows? You know, I mean, it. It, but really, in a in a work from home <laughs> world, you know, it it's who is going to buy a twenty five dollar dress shirt right now? Right. Because that's the shirt that you buy when you get your first job at the tar. You know, it it's you've you've stopped the entire chain. Once you stop hiring kids that are graduating from college now, they don't know where they're going to go. You know, the internship startup program, the first years at whatever bank, that's not a thing that they're going to have this year. You know, it, it's it's all been frozen. My daughter's a junior in high school. She's trying to figure out if they're even having the ACTs. You know, it it's we've never had this sort of uncertainty before. And not that it's it's chaos. We're not living in a in a anarchy, you know, pre-governance world. It's just a lot more uncertainty than we're used to. And so, you know, in terms of estimates, you brought them up before. The estimate should be just chaos. I mean, they, they, we've made too much out of quarterly earnings for years. This would be a great time for us to adjust as a, as an investing society, just how important it is to us, whether or not a company comes within two or three cents of some sort of estimate they made six months ago. Yeah. I can't, I can't stop thinking about George Costanza's father when they, start to raid their savings and he buys that tie and he's like, George, it's a Pierre Cardin, you know? <laughs> that was been echoing in my head since the eyes on discussion. I had to get that out somewhere. <laughs> but, but I mean, think about Macy's. They're sitting on, it. it's, they're oh, Tommy to, Hilfiger, to Nautica. Oh my God. You know, it's like, what fucking time machine do you need to go into to buy stuff there? I guess maybe they're exactly. just waiting. Maybe they're just waiting for like the champion and like Fila effect, where the shit gets so old and so fucking played out that it eventually it just comes back in. Like, I mean, look at what happened to Champion. <laughs> I mean, that is just that's mind boggling. Th- those executives were running the most boring, you know, sporting goods. Here's a sweatshirt for like six dollars, you know, type company, and woke up one morning and all of a sudden. You know, Drake is wearing their brand in his latest rap video. It's what the fuck just happened? Yeah, yeah, and and you contrast that because for the you know, there's champion success. Look at Under Armour. Under Armour reported last. I mean, holy shit, Under Armour. So you know, they close in March. The brand is is stagnant. Then at this point, because kids are fickle as hell, you know, suddenly you can't give away the Under Armour gear under the best of circumstances. Then you cancel all the spring sports, all the summer sports, and possibly all the fall sports. I have no idea what that company does, but I know they're sitting on a whole bunch of shoes that they've jammed all throughout the (laughs) channel, and it's going to take roughly infinity years to get rid of the inventory they have. They, they should have a Viking funeral barge and just load up, you know, maybe a carnival cruise line, they, well, one of the princess boats, and just freaking load up every Under Armour shoe they have and sink the goddamn thing. You want to know what happened to Under Armour? I can start. tell you. <laughs> Lay it on me. I'll give you my retail analysis, okay? 
Under Armour, when it first came out, was like this super hyped, incredible brand. Nobody had ever heard of it. No, it does these, you know, great things with deflecting sweat and perspiration that nobody else was doing and it became a fad and then it became hugely popular and then athletes all over the place were wearing it and it really boomed in success and was incredible for you know a decade and then all of a sudden you know as popularity starts to wane slightly they start to expand the channels with which they're selling it and then you know all of a sudden you can buy Under Armour not just from the company in exclusive boutiques but also at Macy's and also here and there in the other place and then when that inventory doesn't sell they fucking put it in a truck and they send it over to Marshalls and at the same time they're expanding into golf and cricket and polo and all the sports that they haven't gotten involved in to begin with and then all of a sudden you have these kind of middle-aged amorphous tubby nerds that shop at Marshalls and Ross that are seeing the Under Armour brand that they remember from 10 years ago that you know some guy that stole their girlfriend and uh, you know was getting laid all the time was wearing Under Armour and he remembers that that was cool and so <laughs> this like kind of pudgy, amorphous, dorky computer programmer starts buying Under Armour from Marshalls and Ross and pairing that with the uh, Oakley sunglasses from like the mid 90s, the sport ones, not the uh, the frog skins. I wear those, but the you know, the like the old kind of like the kind that you see police officers wear all the time, like those like out of Blade Runner type sunglasses. Absolutely. Oh, the blades for sure. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. And next thing you know, you got a whole nation of fucking out of shape, fat fucks wearing Under Armour clothing and, you know, dad Nikes, those, those all white Nikes and a whole outfit put together by the discount retailers of the world. And the younger generation takes a look at that and they see, oh, like this is Under Armour because I thought this was, you know, Steph Curry draining threes, but he's injured now. And I thought it was Bryce Harper hitting home runs, but he's batting 240. And I got to fucking look at this guy wearing this shit now. And now nobody wants to buy it. And that's the story of Under Armour. Yeah, that's pretty much it. And at every one of the junctures, that you mentioned where they decided that the problem was not that they were losing touch with their core hip consumer, but rather they needed more golf stuff. <laughs> you know, it, it, they just let ego get in the way. And so now you have this enormous kind of sprawling company that they, they all want to be Nike for good reasons because Nike is incredibly successful, but Nike's all about discipline. Nike's culture is very much the distance runner type of right. meticulous, you know, there are no mistakes. There are no accidents. We, you know, they, they go about their business. Under Armour's just insane. There, there is no buyout value there because the culture just kind of runs so deeply ingrained with weirdness. You know, you remember, you've seen the movie Big where they dance on the piano, Tom Hanks and, and Robert Logan. I have not. But that's yeah, okay. you, you haven't seen that movie. Oh my God, you need to rent it. It's the most famous toy story in the world. Anyway, the point of the story is it's an enormous store in New York City that Under Armour rented, they were going to make an Under Armour store and it was going to be better than the Nike store three blocks away. They sat on the lease for two years and then announced that they're not doing anything with it. They spent scores of millions of dollars renting some of the priciest retail real estate in New York and they literally didn't open a store. This is not a company that you want to own the stock of. This is not a company where where sharp decisions are being made because, you know, at, at, Companies where they actually have a clue, 
someone in the board meeting brings up the fact that you just spent another $50 million renting the store in New York that's locked shut and empty. And that was before COVID. So I have no idea. You know, it's again, what do you do if you're Macy's? What do you do if you're Kohl's and you're sitting on, on this under armored gear? There's no pull from the consumers. There's no sports seasons happening. So you can't even distribute this stuff out to your high school partners and your college partners. You just have to eat all this inventory. And, you know, it's, I'm not a bankruptcy lawyer. I would rather just buy winners. You can buy Nike all day and realize they're not going to go out of business or you can take your flyer on Under Armour. I mean, it, in some ways, it's never been easier to invest in these stocks unless you're looking for, you know, the 20 baggers. There's only so much room in a portfolio for the turnaround names because, you know, all these retailers are not created equal. You got to listen to the calls and you got to figure out who has a plan for coming out of this. The guys who don't aren't just going to get lucky. They've, they've got too much financial pressure on them. There's too many companies out there. Basically, every single retail chain has stopped paying rent. You know, the landlords aren't going to go for that for very long. That has to be settled. That's a huge ticket item. It, it's, it's down to that level of granularity right now as to whether or not some of these companies survive. And right now, you better be damn sure because the difference between Lululemon and Gap it, it was wide before right now it's it, you can't even see the other side you know if you look at what lululemon's doing you can't even see how the gap is doing They're totally different companies well and i think that across all industries but retail especially <clears throat> excuse me people need to understand that and this is something i talk about when i discuss people that you know want to sponsor the podcast that i don't feel like listening to or when I'm talking to people that I work with at, you know, some other jobs that I'm working at, I talk often about, you know, the sanctity of a brand and, you, and how you can't put the genie back in the bottle. And Under Armour and Lululemon are two completely polar opposites, right? Under Armour took the route of, hey, we just need to flood the market and get the shit everywhere and, you know, kind of swing <clears throat> wildly. Um, when really it was the appeal of the brand, the mystique of the brand that brought people in to begin with. And then you have a company like Lululemon who does an exceptional job of managing their brand, you know, managing their boutiques, can charge high prices accordingly. You don't see Lululemon shit in Marshalls and Ross and Macy's. And, you know, <clears throat> you can only let that genie out of the bottle once um, right. before public perception turns and then you have to do the champion thing and wait 30 years for that long-term cycle to turn over if you're not bankrupt yet. Okay. And so let's translate that to, to put some meat on it for kind of the trading world. Cause everybody wants the stock tips. Everybody wants the investment, but really I'm more interested in helping them try to frame these things. So the difference between Lulu and the Under Armors of the world, it goes down right down to the way they were built. Lulu was built to essentially be an online company. They were built with e-commerce in mind right from the go. And so Lulu can survive as long as the shutdown lasts. They've got a, a plenty robust supply chain. Whereas the Gap, when they closed all the malls, they didn't have any way to fulfill the orders. So their top line goes to zero while Lulu continues to take share. Structurally, these companies are set up entirely different. So the omni-channel thing, which sounds like just retail speak bullshit that analysts come up with when you hear it, that's actually a real thing. You don't want to own companies right now that don't have an app 
a way to get product, a way to pick it up and making it as easy as possible for customers because, you know, that's no longer subjective. That's an objective choice for consumers in a scared world is, is, you know, I don't want to go to the store. What other options do I have? And if the answer is they don't have other options, that's a store that's in a lot of trouble because their top line's about to get hammered. Let me ask you another question about retail. Best Buy is an electronics store. Who made the decision to, when you're checking out of that store manually and you go in and you're waiting online, put the gummy bears right by the cash register and why do, <laughs> why do I always buy them? Impulse items, baby. That's the figure you buy them because they're sitting there. That's the that's the Best Buy version of why they make you wait when you check in at the Cheesecake Factory because they want you to order the twelve dollar drink before you take your table. You know they're gonna make you wait in line because they want you to buy those gummy bears. Because man, it would sound kind of good to eat some gummy bears watching your huge new TV. Yeah, or like <laughs> yeah. before you even get to the car. You know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> or before you even check out, is there anything more humiliating than handing a cashier an empty bag of candy? Oh, we've all done it. Everybody's done <laughs> here, it. Here are the M&Ms. I, I kind of wasn't that patient. I, I, I ate these. Yeah, sorry. There was, there was one person ahead of me in line. It couldn't wait. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> They're just so tasty. Uh. <laughs> yeah. But this is going through, you know, it, it's all of these industries right now. Tech essentially kind of got through the the quarter relatively unscathed but we're about to come into i was just looking at as as you know up this morning looking at retailers reporting next week you know you got companies like hibbert sports ulta the the makeup people how do you suppose makeup has been selling in the the freaking work from home judging, era, Chris? judging by the photographs on my facebook feed not very well <laughs> Not very well at all, you know. So it, it's, I don't know why you'd want to be long Alta. It, it's, you know, it, from a trading perspective, knock yourself out, play the charts, do whatever you want. From a fundamental perspective, there's nothing they can really tell me. No one's going out to buy makeup because nobody's going to work or school or any place that you'd want to wear makeup. So you know, it's it's their business is essentially frozen. And yep. people are still trading them. You know, it, it's these are companies, Burlington, TJX, Ross, they haven't been open since March. None of them have been open. And the stocks have been absolute rocket ships from the bottom. And every time I look at them, I feel like I, I you know, I missed this bottom. I should be long that. And then I remember that, you know, they haven't, nothing has changed. I can practically hear the mice nestling in the old inventory that's sitting in the TJ Maxx that's been chained shut since March. That, that inventory has no value. You know, Burlington Coat Factory. What's a down coat from February worth right now? I have no idea, but not a lot. <laughs> you know, it's, it's much less than it was before is the answer. So, you know, when, when you get down to the idea that TGX is going to be good because they'll have so much off-price product, you know, so does Macy's. There's too much off-price product. It, it's you know go into a store and basically offer to buy 50 pounds of shirt and see if they'll take <laughs> you up on it <laughs> because you know you don't they're not going to be dealing in normal discounts now 25 percent off doesn't get it done to move inventory you need to make people a better offer it's funny too because like things like makeup are really afterthoughts makeup is something that you buy and apply when everything in life is going great and you want to take your normal kind of everyday look when you're healthy and happy and and there's no big problems and then jack that up a little bit 
and make yourself look a little bit better. And it's like, you could say the same about anything. Like, nobody needs to go to Ross, Jeff, and buy that stupid fucking wooden sign that says live, laugh, love that everybody's got in their fucking kitchen right now next to their sign that says next to their sign that says bistro. OK, <laughs> nobody needs nobody needs to buy a sign that says live because everybody's just focusing on trying to fucking live right now. They don't need reminders like we've already got a reminder. It's called a global pandemic. OK, if you, yeah. need, if you need some nine ninety nine bullshit from Target to remind Mind you to try to live, you know. Why don't you just get a sign that says "fucking breathe," you know, and put that? <laughs> try, try not to catch the virus. Do your best. <laughs> don't seems, don't seems, die. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No matter what occurs, stay alive. I mean, it, it, it's. I have no idea. I'm I'm still long freaking BBBY, you know, because it it's they're a company that's managed to move a shitload of their inventory when we talked about them last year job number one for for the bed bath and beyond of the world was to get through all their inventory and they needed to do it kind of in as clean a way as possible for them this has potentially been something of a boon you know it, they've been able to move a lot of product at a time that people aren't paying attention to the margins and are mostly concerned with their execution so just from kind of a luck perspective, they, they were running very, yeah, it, it's downsized in terms of management with an inventory problem that they've been able to kind of bleed out over the last few months. I have no idea to what degree they've been able to do it. The clock's ticking in terms of their money. You know, it, it's, they don't have an endless runway, but those are the kind of companies that are going to survive. I don't know in terms of the bitsy PC you know, discount off-brand type of stuff, what it looks like for them. Because again, you know, TJ Maxx is not taking orders. Raw store is really not open. It, it's the stuff they sell to your point. You know, we're not feeling it in a particularly discretionary, let's buy the goofy sign, you know, mom loves puppies. Let's buy that shirt for $3. No one needs that right now. We're not in that kind of mood. You know, it's like give me a give me a plague mask. Right. <laughs> and a bottle of whiskey. Yeah, exactly. And a glazed donut. Yeah. So, so that's where we are. I mean, it's, we're in a frozen state and I think that applies to, you know, almost any company you can think of, but the world's not normal when folks are, there's a 45 minute line for the Starbucks drive-through that tells you that the, the economy as we knew it before is broken. And so the numbers you hear from companies basically don't mean shit. You're looking for narrative. You're looking for management. You trust that's going to basically be stewards of your capital. And, you know, it. we've become day trading nation on this and people are trading the wrong stuff, which is fine for me. And it always sounds like a bitch where, you know, I'm arguing the market should be closed. You know, the, the more newbies, the better for me. I would just encourage people to be super duper careful and, and to really think as, as they would from the perspective of a business owner when they're looking at these stocks because it really has become much more elemental than it normally is. Normally there's a lot more nuance to running a Kohl's or a Macy's right now. It's simply whether or not they can pay their rent and get a loan against all this inventory they have, which are, you know, those are serious problems. I don't want any part of them as a public company investor. I've got plenty of stocks to buy. It's just a, you know, a smaller basket of proven names. Let's talk about, Trading Nation, I mean, you just mentioned, I have two kind of wild card questions here and then we'll we'll call it a day, but this is semi off topic. 
The first is I'm wondering if you saw what happened with mRNA uh, this past week or the past like 10 days where the news came out that their vaccine trial looked uh, as though it was uh, promising and CNBC welcomed the CEO of the company onto the network <laughs> and he pumped uh, the vaccine trials and everybody rolled out the red carpet for him and sniffed his throne and everybody was happy and then three days later it turns out oh, the insiders were selling a shitload of stock, and by the way, the vaccine trial didn't go as well as everybody thought. Um, I did not see a counterbalance from CNBC in terms of maybe going back and saying, mm, uh, you know, we had this guy on, and uh, maybe let's hold his feet to the fire here because the stock's $20 lower in 72 hours, and we may have fucked up. So I wanted to know if you saw that story. I saw that story, yes, and that that would be exhibit A of people not getting out over their skis on companies they don't really understand. I might be the only guy actually running money for a living that didn't try to become a virologist over the last three months. So I don't know shit about vaccines. I was never tempted to go chase the MRA, you know, but I know that the victims of that are people that that by and large are kind of new to finance and and hey, welcome to it. Yeah, this happens all the time. Biotech companies are kind of known to be scammy. You know, it, it's that's a tough lesson why to learn. Why can't somebody on the air around. say that? It beats the shit out of me. You know, it, it's there's a ton of different kind of political positions on it and whether or not you're going to get these guests again and and a denial of, of sort of their part in it. But, you know, it it's I'm watching less X retail earnings season of the financial media than I have before, simply because, again, the answer for almost every question that people have with any meat to it is that it's not a knowable thing. You know, it, it's the answer to that vaccine. If you didn't start thinking about the, the science of vaccines until February, and most of us didn't, you don't have much of an edge on whether or not these tests are going to lead to a, a working vaccine. So all you're left to, you know, it, it's a great thing to root on, but, you know, root for, and hopefully society will get a vaccine, but I'm not going to buy the biotech and luck into the one that finds it. And, you know, it, it, you better know what you're doing if you're day trading these things, because that's a shitty way to lose 15% of your money. And it completely happens. You know, it, it's, are the hedge fund managers calling into the networks from their underground lairs going to talk their book and then empty it into the panic? Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. And they'll do it as long as sort of the, the networks let them go because they get ratings. You know, when Bill Ackman cries while he's covering his shorts, that's good television. It's absolutely, you know, incomprehensibly bad capitalism, but it's good television. <laughs> <laughs> You know, and so that it's it's the people on TV are not actually your financial advisors. For that matter, neither am I. I'm not taking a slice of the profits. I'm I'm plowing all my profits into stuff that I want. So, you know, I'm not charging anyone. I'm kind of just trying to be an honest dealer and help people work their way through it. it it's but the people that are on TV selling, you got to know that they're all talking their book and they're all every bit as afraid as the folks at home. It's just whether or not they're kind of equipped to to handle it and what their motives are. And, you know, no one wears them on their sleep. Just assume everyone's talking their book and trying to sell their stock to you. 
Well, I'm encouraged too because I think that the financial media is getting swallowed. I really do. I think that independent content creators, when I look at like Real Vision, what they're doing, you know, the the places that I read and the places I watch and the people I listen to, whether I agree with them or not, everybody's got the power to create their own content now. And I think that the viewership is going to see things like what happened with Moderna this week. And start to ask, like, well, why didn't we get the other side of the story? You know, why were we just kind of, like, being led to the slaughter? And nobody really even, uh, nobody really even gave us, like, a complimentary beverage while we were on the way. It was just like, here you go, and, and you know, you can deal with this on your own. So I think that, it, go ahead. You know, there's, there's a pressure, I can tell you, you know. As we've mentioned, I don't just for the people who don't know, I, I was one of the first generation of the fast money guys. And, you know, it it's you're trying to find ideas for people. You're trying to help them. There's pressure not just to call bullshit on every single thing that you hear. But, you know, during the financial crisis, it, it's I ended up becoming a caricature of myself, even though, you know, I knew it was happening. But I was trying to get people out of bank stocks. I was trying to warn them in September of 08 that, that, you know, shit was genuinely really bad and your 401k was not, in fact, going to be fine if you were just going to hold GM because someone told you it was a blue chip 20 years earlier. And it turned out <laughs> not to be the, you know, that, that, that was kind of right. So, you know, it it's, they're, they're, people are looking for ideas. They're trying to be positive and no one wants to be the scold network. And, and it's really hard to, to, you know, you booked a CEO to call the guy an outright fraud on the television. It's, there's always going to be tension against that. So it's up to the viewer themselves to assume the person's a fraud until they're convinced otherwise. And then to use TV, the way financial TV has always been intended to be used as a starting point. My God, the people who invest money based on stock tips because somebody on TV said it was a good idea. That's an insane way to buy a t- to buy <laughs> stocks. You would buy nothing else in your life based on the word of just some guy on a panel. You wouldn't go buy a refrigerator because of him. You wouldn't go buy, you know, certainly not a car. You wouldn't buy a set of golf clubs. So why the hell would you go put $10,000 in a stock because some guy who seems nice recommended it or you heard something good about a phase one trial? You know, I don't know about you, but phase one trial doesn't mean a lot to me because it turns out I was a psych major with an MBA and, you know, it, it's Moderna's trial. I wasn't going to have an edge there. I, right. you know, there. There isn't one to have, you know, it, it's even if you are a doctor, they'll be the first ones to tell you, listen, if they're not looking at the research firsthand, it's not anything they can do. You know, we knew the trial was eight people or whatever the, the specific breakdown was. That was an element of the story right from the start. People just chose not to give a shit because the stock was flying. Right. Yeah. yeah no, and Go ahead. it's kind of on them. It's kind of caveat emptor more than ever, just like it was during the financial crisis. You know, it it's this stuff presumed to be safe before you can't, presume that anymore it's up to individual investors to take care of themselves because you know it it's the networks aren't going to do it for you under the best of circumstances and right now it's sort of every man for themselves when it comes to investing you know it so even the honest guys are going to be wrong 75 percent of the time do your own homework you know do your research elsewhere right absolutely it's a source of ideas it's a starting point 
But if you don't have an edge, if you don't have a particular edge in a particular industry, right now is not the time to learn it. You're not going to figure it out on the fly. And some people you just, you know, you can't. I spend eight minutes telling people not to listen to the advice on this podcast at the beginning of every podcast. And, you know, (laughs) if you go look at my iTunes rating, whatever, the store, the fucking thing, you know, it's all one-star reviews from people like, the worst ideas ever, you know? It's like, fucking don't do it, you know? Like, Like you said, do your research elsewhere. All right, my very last question is, did you see Joe Biden's comments on Friday? I did. Would you, would you make it that? You know, he, he seemed coherent-ish. You know, the, I'm not ready for the election, man. The the it was nice not to see him hugging somebody. The the I I don't think we're I don't think we're even close to the point where we vote. I think the election's going to come down to whether we have a second wave of this stupid illness. And, right. You know, basically we're we're. You know, not even the Democrats are pretending to run anyone who's more than a placeholder. So, you know, yet again, we've come up with an election where we found two guys from the exact same demographic and we're going to run them against each other. And one guy seems to be genuinely, you know, kind of losing it a little bit, and not quite sure where he is. And the other one just seems to be, you know, he's Donald Trump. He's been Donald Trump for 50 <laughs> years. Like literally our entire lives, the guy has not changed even a little bit. He really has you go, He hasn't. <laughs> if you go read New Yorker profiles of Donald Trump from the early 90s, this is who he was then. Yep. So, you know, it, it's love him, hate him, however you feel about him. He is a, a paragon of consistency. So, you know, we're, we're, you know, we're running essentially kind of just one fuzzy, crazy candidate and one guy who's just been crazy all along, for better or worse. It's funny, That's too, our choice. There, there's a Trump documentary on Netflix that, you know, profiles his career when he was younger. And you listen to him speak in, like, the 80s and the 90s. You know, when he talks about opening the Taj Mahal, you know, it's going to be tremendous. Uh, It's just going to be the absolute best. It's going to be wonderful. You know, we're going to be opening it very strongly. I mean, he sounds like the exact same. He's saying the same shit he was saying in the fucking 80s. And then when you listen to him in the 90s, he was saying the same thing. And when he's, you know, he was on Oprah Winfrey in like 2000. Uh, Donald, are you considering a presidential bid? Well, China's been ripping us off for decades. <laughs> you know, billions and billions of dollars. It's this, he's, I mean, talk about a paragon of consistency. He has said the same thing. Ron Paul's been the same way too. He said the same thing since like the 70s, the 60s. You just, I mean, the same shit. So, yeah, it's and, wild to listen to. You know, and they all... It, it, these characters, these people who are kind of bigger than life are, 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 it's easy to sort of put ideas into their head. It's easy to project the conspiracies onto them. I was at dinner last night with a, with a Microsoft guy who Bill Gates just moved in relatively nearby. And we were just talking about, you know, the number of conspiracies surrounding Bill and he's a person who actually knows him. And he said, you know, Bill literally has more money than he knows what to do with. Right. He kind of controls the world. So the idea that he's forming a conspiracy to take charge of the world, you know, we've missed the window there. The, the guy has, you know, 
if you have a hundred billion dollars, you kind of can do whatever you want anyway. So you're probably not going to come up with an evil plot because right, you right. wouldn't change it. You know, there's no reason for him to just change a damn thing. A, just deploy a billion dollars in capital and it's done. <laughs> He's got 150,000 square foot of house all over the world. He's fine. He's not. He's not trying to track all of us with some secret vaccine. You know, it, it's. <laughs> People are saying he's in the labs, Jeff. He's in the labs, you know, with the pipette, individually spiking every single vaccine, you know. Right, because he's just that crazy. Because <laughs> the freaking $5 billion a year they send him for his chunk of owning Microsoft Office isn't enough for him. He wants to <laughs> vaccinate all of us. Yeah, it it's... There is no secret group behind this. It's just, you know, more frightening to bring it full loop. Nobody knows shit, and that's more terrifying than a conspiracy anyway. So, you know, play it accordingly. Just play it knowing that th- that this reopening that we're doing over the next couple of weeks has everything to do with the will of the public, and the government's going to try to pretend like there's something rational to it. We're reopening not for any medical reasons, not even for any political reasons. We're reopening because Americans are just done with being shut down. You know, how is that going to play out? I'm not really sure, but I'm keeping my eyes open. You know, it, it's if we have what I call the, the Jaws July 4th scenario, you know, once you scare people twice, they're going to be gone for good. So the, the entire bet on the economy is we don't have a, an outbreak that would be of a nature that that we haven't seen yet you know something that that hits teenagers hard in in a devastating way in a particular community related to the outbreak that's a super long shot of that happening from everything we know but realize that if it does happen that's the bet we're taking people will not go back to the mall for the rest of this year if ever you know it it it's you know, for better or worse, we're going to reopen everything. We better hope that it goes well because, man, you know, the downside of Americans being scared into their homes twice is much worse than than this idea that the government's preventing us from shopping now. All right, Jeff Mackey, thank you so much, brother, for joining me on a Saturday morning, bright and early. Still only seven eighteen on your coast, my man. You got the whole day ahead of you. I got the whole day. I'm going to go for a Peloton ride. It's going to be great. Are you? <laughs> yeah, I, I love the thing, man. It, it, they gamified working out. Are you kidding me? They, they, I, Don't I've you miss breathing a... the air outside? I ride my bike several times a week. You know, I'd rather yeah. do 20 miles outside than on a bike inside. Don't you miss that? I go outside all the time. I go outside every day. The, uh, the uh, I, I we're able to kind of walk around and, and so I'm getting plenty of air too. The, what I really like though, is the gamification of just the exercise experience. I think that there, there's a huge market just like Lululemon made money selling freaking what everyone thought was yoga pants to men. They're going to sell workout classes to men. And you know, it's going to be one of those companies that is going to be part of how our lives change for better or worse. You know, does that make great things for Peloton? Maybe. I don't know. TiVo changed the world too and and they didn't make any money off it. But I, I would encourage anybody out there, look at the way they're living, look at the way they're behaving, their own motivations and project from there. You know, stop letting the media push you around and tell you what to think. Fucking A, right. I'll drink to that. All right, Jeff Mackey, thank you so much, brother. Hopefully we can do this again soon. 
Amen, man. Talk to you soon. All right. Bye-bye. That was the one, the only Jeff Mackey. Good guy. All around high-quality individual that uh, really had a nice bonding experience with in October in Las Vegas. We sat down. We talked for a couple of hours, got to know each other, and uh, I really respect Jeff Mackey, and I don't think anybody knows retail better than that guy, so I'm super stoked that he is taking part in the anti-mainstream media uh, little mess that we're putting on here on the podcast. So for right now, hey, listen, I want to wish everybody a happy Memorial Day. I hope you guys enjoy the long weekend, the long break. I sure as fuck need it, and uh, I hope you guys enjoy a little rest and relaxation. Hopefully spend time with your loved ones. Fix yourself up a cocktail for the QTR, man. Let me know on Twitter what you're drinking this weekend. All right. Fools, I'm out. Peace.